Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Bonus podcast time. Um, this is a recording of the live show I streamed uh, last Saturday, or if you're listening to this um, at some other week in history, uh, last Saturday, but more last Saturday. I don't know how time works. Anyway, I recorded it then uh, on February the 6th as part of the Virtual Leicester Comedy Festival um, with help from the very lovely lot at Next Up Comedy and Jericho Comedy who put it all together. Um, Because it was sort of virtually in Leicester, uh, they asked me to get local guests. So as you'll hear, I speak to, uh, or I spoke to, but you're about to hear yourself speak to. This is very confusing, isn't it, time? Um, How does Doctor Who do it? I don't know. It's confusing. Um, I spoke to local campaigner Tim Morton and Abby Harrison who set up a food bank from her dining room uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, both of them were absolutely fascinating, um, talking about social housing, poverty issues and the pandemic and all sorts of things and how Leicester was affected by those too. Um, and they also did very brilliantly considering a live stream with an audience is a little bit different to me just interviewing them over Zoom one-to-one. Um, so the proceeds of this show are going to go to the food bank that Abby works at, Woodgate Community. And if you fancy donating to them too after you've listened to this, then details are at the end of this show and in the podcast blurb. Alternatively, just bung some cash to your local one instead. Some things before you listen in. Uh, the sound isn't as amazing as my usual incredible sound episodes <laughs> um, because it's all noise taken from the Zoom video recording, which just isn't as good, is it? It still sounds pretty good, though, um, because I am an expert. Um, I'm, not, I'm not. It sounds fine. Uh, you can't hear the audience laughing uh, as they were all on mute and probably not laughing. No, I promise I could see them laughing. Or maybe they were convulsing. Look, hey, it's a response. It counts. Um, also, some bits are visual. You can't see those. Tough, but on the plus side, you don't have to see Andrew Bridgeton's face, so win. And many of the jokes uh, in the intro you will have already heard in this week's proper episode uh, with Emily Kenway. But look, I know some of you might like to hear how they evolved or didn't evolve or how I didn't scrap them, even though I should have done and should have learnt better. Um, so I've left the episode as it is, really, and you can just skip through it. You know how buttons work. Um, I'm also going to pop the full video of the show um, on the Patreon and Kofi when I get a chance and understand how to do it. Right, without any ado whatsoever, here is the Partly Political Broadcast live at the Leicester Comedy Festival on February the 6th, 2021. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Tiran Duya. Hey, welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast Live, uh, as opposed to the usual audio show, which uh, I guess is dead, uh, or at least behind the eyes anyway. Um, right, we're going to try and do this live. Let's see. Uh, I've, I've put some things into place that probably won't work. Let's see if we can do this. Oh, yeah. Let's go. And... Partly Political Broadcast. Let's go broadcast. Yeah. So for those of you who don't watch the podcast, I'm going to try and do it just like, uh, don't watch the podcast. No one does. It's audio. I'm going to try and do it like it's the podcast, uh, at which point I'm going to realize how grateful I am that when I record it every week, I can delete bits. And I've also had a really big cup of tea before I started. So I'm going to need to wee halfway through. Okay. Welcome people. This is the comedy politics show whose audience like the R rate is showing clear signs of falling as people do what they can to avoid it. Oh, wait, hang on. Go, hang on, go. No, not that one. There we go. Yeah, this is why I'm not on radio. Yeah, and uh, go. There you go, backdrop. Uh, I'm still Tian and Duyeb despite all of my efforts. And isn't it just lovely that as the one year anniversary of COVID getting it on with Britain coincides with Valentine's Day, the government is surprising it with a romantic 10 day hotel quarantine trip. Though I'm sure, as he does with all his relationships, the Prime Minister and what if someone made a snowman out of blowtorch gelignite and stuck children's fancy dress on it, Boris Johnson, is going to leave booking the room till the very last minute, at which point there'll only be a shitty service station place off the M1 available and then he'll make sure anyone but him foots the bill. So, uh, guys, these quarantine hotels, yeah? Ten days of being stuck in your room, all food brought to you, you're unable to go outside except for a fag break. Um, where can you book for one of these? Because I'm asking for me and tired parents everywhere, for which this sounds like a dream vacation in 2021. Sadly, uh, of course, the only stay will be mandatory uh, from uh, February. The stay will only be mandatory from February the 15th for anyone stupid enough to travel to the UK from a country on the travel ban list. And why would anyone do that? Have you not seen or read anything ever about the UK right now? The only reason it makes sense to come here is if you're part of Doctors Without Borders or you need inspiration for your remake of The Omega Man. Uh, it is, uh, though, the hotel quarantine thing. I hate to say it, a fairly sensible idea from the government, except that it's almost exactly a year too late. But hey, I guess the chase is the fun part, isn't it? It just wouldn't have been as good if we didn't give COVID a head start first. You know, got to give it a chance. And of course, the government are all about unleashing potential or something like that. James Cleverly, a man who has the constant expression of a dog that's just stepped on a rake and is somehow the Minister of State for the Middle East and North Africa, which is the most obvious way to announce that you honestly couldn't give a fuck about what happens to that area. Um, I mean, James Cleverly could probably barely tell you where the Middle East or North Africa are, let alone how they're getting on. But anyway, I always think actually that James Cleverly, MP for Braintree, sounds like a sarcastic insult that you'd give an idiot at school. Oh, look at James Cleverly, MP for Braintree. Where does he live? IQ Street in Smarty Pants Town. Anyway, sorry, uh, James Cleverly from Braintree got very angry in an interview this week when he was asked, why is the hotel quarantining happening a year later than it should have been? And he responded by saying, well, the government needed time to prepare. Yeah. Of course they did. I mean, it probably takes hours just to get Boris Johnson to put his shoes and jacket on before going out. So a year, plus those few months where the Prime Minister couldn't be bothered to attend any Cobra meetings, that isn't enough to book a few hotels to prevent variants of a virus, when the government also had to learn what a virus is, what a variant is, they had to spend hours writing policies for tier systems or slogans that sounded like they were a bonus round on a game show, they had to get rid of homelessness and then bring it back, but worse, they had to make everyone go to restaurants, and somehow had to teach Boris Johnson 
that staying pe- that people stay in hotels for more than the 30 minutes he usually needs them just to disappoint a native in- uh, a naive intern native intern this is why live is terrible um no contracts have been handed to hotel chains to take part in the scheme yet so judging by the past year it'll be handed to whoever donates to the conservative party first and somehow end up with travelers landing at east midlands airport before being picked up in an army truck and thrown into a makeshift shack in a car park behind drayton manor theme park when asked if he knew where the next mutant strain of the virus was coming from, cleverly answered that he didn't know, which is unusual as you'd assume that all one-cell organisms that focus on ruining lives would communicate with each other. Cleverly insisted there's actually no point in closing borders to all countries just in case a virus happens to mutate there, as actually we in Britain are really good at finding variations once they arrive. What? By catching them? The coronavirus isn't a new update to Pokemon Go, mate, where we all wander around and cough out, I've got a rare one from Outer Mongolia, and everyone swarms there to cash in. I mean, hey, maybe I'm being harsh, but considering the test and trace programme for months couldn't even locate someone who you had the numbers for in your phone, uh, the government repeatedly lose important documents leading to citizens getting deported, and we've got a prime minister who isn't even sure where his kids are, I feel like chances are very slim that they're going to be some sort of variant tracking superforce. Saying that, uh, these variants will be coming from abroad, so there's also a chance that the second they arrive, Home Secretary and human version of getting a splinter right under your nail, Pretty Patel, will be able to sniff them out and put them in a detention centre within minutes. Uh, which actually is probably exactly where the hotel quarantines are going to end up being at, and at least if nothing else, the Google reviews that will appear afterwards might highlight how badly we treat supposedly illegal immigrants. Well, we arrived back from a lovely two weeks in Mauritius, only to be forcefully bundled into a car and left in a building with no Wi-Fi, no water, no toilets, and forced to clean for one pound an hour. Still, it was quite the immersive experience and cheaper than secret cinema, so two stars. Okay. Maybe uh, I'm being a bit mean. Maybe a year isn't long enough to plan for these things. I mean, health secretary and man who definitely tries to impress his kids by showing them he knows all the words to a rap, but changes the swears to things like, oopsie, Matt Hancock. He's only just got round to watching the 2011 film about a pandemic, Contagion, which seems to have really influenced him and sadly explains why the main Department of Health plan to defeat the virus is to just sit around and wait for Marianne Cotillard and Matt Damon to save us all. Matt Hancock says the film hasn't been his primary source of advice. Uh, I mean, of course not. Maybe now he's watched Outbreak 2 and the next big policy will be to stop primates from flying into the UK. Obviously, only from countries on the travel ban list, though. Maybe Matt Hancock should have shown some of these films to his buddy, head of Test and Trace and constipated hamster Dido Harding, who told the Science and Technology Select Committee that none of us were able to predict the virus would mutate. Speak for yourself, Dido. Even I could predict that, and my only real knowledge of things that go viral is the occasional tweet I do that goes well, and afterwards I realise there's a glaring typo and I feel haunted by it for days. Dido Harding is, of course, head of the National Institute for Health Protection and potentially soon NHS England, and she didn't know viruses mutate. What other areas of health is she unaware of? Oh, well, none of us knew that once his leg fell off, he'd keep bleeding out. I had no idea that breaking your back meant you couldn't move. I just thought you'd roll around on your bum everywhere. I guess none of us could have predicted that if the government bunged a load of cash and imported jobs to their friends, that they'd be really, really fucking shit at them. Hey, life is full of surprises. Meanwhile, the Chancellor and animated corncob Rishi Sunak has accused scientists of moving the goalposts on lockdown, which instantly proves he doesn't even understand what scientists are or he wouldn't put them in a sports-based analogy. To be fair, it must be unsettling for him to see professionals regularly change their mind based on evidence. Boris Johnson has also said that the earliest sensible date school should return is March the 8th, so I'm guessing that means they'll return February the 22nd for a full day before being closed again till 2023. 
Of course, uh, the big news that dominated the headlines this week was the death of Captain Tom Moore, a 100-year-old man that raised a lot of money for the NHS, which is probably why the Conservatives were so desperate to clap when he died, as it must be annoying to put all the effort into dismantling an institution, and then this old dude props it back up. The Prime Minister insisted that everyone stand on their doorsteps at 6pm and clap for Captain Tom, an unlikely icon who became a powerful symbol of last year in that he was an elderly person who was able to do laps in spring, but still died of Covid 10 months later because our government are terrible. It is really odd that Boris Johnson wants to clap people that his government are either sending to their death or after they've died, as though he thinks it'll work like the Tinkerbell effect. Actually, that can't be it because that would require him believing in something. But there really is no greater way to remember doing... There really is no greater way to remember someone doing something really remarkable than by weaponizing their death to distract you from them having done something consistently shit. Boris Johnson said we should channel Captain Tom's spirit, which makes it sound like we needed a Ouija board. But it probably actually means that he's about to announce the NHS's next policy will be that it's now funded by 100-year-olds having to do a runaround. In other news, Cabinet Office Secretary and Walking Teratoma Michael Gove has written to the EU to ask for an extended Brexit grace period on checks between Northern Ireland and Britain, because as you know, you're not allowed to eat till after grace. Gove has insisted this is not to do with teething problems, you understand, as of course that would mean the Brexit plan the government have has teeth. Instead, Gove said there were serious problems with the Northern Ireland protocol that needed addressing. So may I suggest he sends them in a stamped addressed envelope so that he and the government... I'm going to have some water. There you go. Uh, live, live podcasting's hard. Um, instead, uh, Gove said there were serious problems with the Northern Ireland protocol that needed addressing. So may I suggest he sends him in a stamped self-addressed envelope so he and the government can finally read what it was they actually signed off on in a rush last year. The late, we're nearly at the end. Don't worry, people. I'll take a breath in a second. Uh, the Labour Party have decided their way to win back disillusioned voters is with use of the union flag, veterans and dressing smartly, which sounds like a challenge on a UKIP version of Taskmaster. Who knew that the key to electability in 2021 would be emulating Ginger Spice on a tour of Eastbourne? But a leaked report shows plans to change the party's body language, which at the moment seems to be largely lying on a floor trying to eat themselves like a really boring aerobarus. It is strange to think, well, voters like voting Conservatives, so the best way for us to win votes is to be exactly like the Conservatives so that people might accidentally tick a box for us instead at the elections. Perhaps they are right, though, and Labour leader and canopy cookerhood extractor fan Keir Starmer regularly appears to have a poll shoved up him and ideas that are flagging at best, so now all he needs to do is wear a tuxedo and treat animals, and I'm sure there'll be points ahead. As part of this new image that will appeal to absolutely no one, uh, with Tory voters still choosing Tories and everyone else thinking Labour are just awful, Labour made a statement that the royal family have been a beacon of hope for millions during the pandemic. And I guess that is true, as if they've managed to stop Prince Andrew getting inappropriately close to people this whole time, that it shows how easy social distancing should be for the rest of us. And finally, the Bank of England say the British economy will rebound strongly due to the vaccine, which I think based on my experience, that means it will fuck around carelessly to try and ignore all the symptoms of the loss that it's been through. Ah, there we go. Um, Hello. Oh, hang on. I've done. I've done the. the, Hang on. Hang on. We'll get we'll get this properly. Uh, It's exciting. isn't it? That was a bit exhausting. Um, Normally, I take a lot more breaks in that. But hey, there we go. Um, There we go. That's nice. Um. How exciting is this? It's nice to be able to see some of you um, and uh, nice to see some faces. I know some faces. Uh, I don't I don't know any of your faces. I can't see through the normal audio podcast. That would be really weird. Probably some sort of data breach. Um, but welcome. Uh, welcome to those of you that have joined uh, to the next hour of your lives and mine too, because I will literally do anything to avoid more parenting right now. Um, and 
this is exciting. This is the live podcast, but at Leicester Comedy Festival. It's not really at it, obviously, just sort of virtually at it, you know, in the same way the government are like virtually doing things about COVID, uh, other than sort of insisting on just a willful ignorance to understand how germs work. And I hope that Rona will just get bored and think, damn, this is too easy. I'll give up. Um, but look, I would say, I would say that it's very nice to be here, uh, but I'm not there. I'm at home. I'm really bored of it. I don't, this isn't, this isn't normally my backdrop. I don't normally sit in a darkened room. I've put that up so you can't see my pants, um, as in sort of clean pants that are sitting on my bed, as opposed to the ones that have, anyway, well, I've, I've got this t-shirt on though. Look, look, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually quite grotesque. And I suddenly realized, I wore it downstairs and my, my daughter said, why, what is that man doing? And I realized that I really shouldn't have worn that in front of her. Anyway, um, this is very nice. Uh, I'm very uh, pleased uh, that you are here, whether you're regular podcast listeners who've joined to see how stressful that intro bit is when I can't pause it and edit bits. Um, obviously, you can now see my face, which has probably ruined uh, everything for you. Sorry about that. Um, and you're very lucky that unlike my usual recordings, I am wearing clothes or at least some clothes. OK, one item of clothing. And um, if you're someone that's never heard the podcast before, welcome as well. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, isn't it fascinating the shit that you'll burn through just to get rid of another afternoon in lockdown. Um, welcome to you. Well done for completing Netflix already and having to resort to this. Um, but for those of you who don't know the show, what this show normally is, is it's comedy about past week's politics. Um, then there's sort of chats with people who know things about current issues. They're going to come in a second. And then there's more gags. And basically that means you can sort of embed the despair and crying about our current state of horror with some laughter. That's how it works. Uh, you laugh so that you don't always cry. Um, and it's basically going to be just like that, but on a very strict time limit. We've got to be finished by 5.30 and out of here. So uh, I'm, yeah, basically that is all the gags you get in that stuff at the top. And I, look, hey, if you do listen to podcasts, some of those gags are probably going to repeat themselves next week. And you're going to go, well, that's very lazy of you, Tim, isn't it? It's not. There's only so much news in the world. If you're really bothered about like having to hear the same gags again, then you need to put in some effort causing some really serious sort of mayhem on Sunday or like curing COVID just so I have to do a ton of rewrites. So no pressure, but this is on you. It's on you. Um, I did try and think about some other things I could do to kind of emulate the podcast live for you. Um, it's lovely to be able to try to sort of flick through some of your faces. Some of you have got lovely. Oh, you look very cosy. Some of you sitting in the dark. That's worrying. Very impressive libraries. Uh, good. Uh, yeah, we were just discussing libraries before we filmed. And I'm, I couldn't put any books behind me because you'd just be disappointed in me. And they're mostly kids books and sort of handprints from my daughter. Uh, our current... Our, our living room is currently covered in glitter. We had a moment before this where they said, do we need to do anything to reduce background noise? Are you in a noisy area? And as they did that, my daughter played the recorder to some tune she'd made up in her head. So anyway, fingers crossed, uh, we'll be safe from that. Um, but I thought about other things that you could do to kind of emulate uh, the podcast live. Um, I thought that maybe I could just do this as audio that you didn't look at my face and then you could flick through your phone uh, and look at endless tabs. Occasionally you have to skip back. I'd have to repeat something I did 15 seconds before because you'd missed it. Um, or maybe I could try and do bits in three times speed every now they just interrupt with like an advert for a mattress or something like that. I don't know how it works for you. Um, so anyway, those are jokes, guess, awful jingles. Oh, yeah. Hang on. I thought I'd do this, right? So this is going to be very confusing for people that don't listen to the podcast. Um, but every week there are some pretty awful, awful jingles on the show. And I thought I'd dig some up and, and play them. I mean, there's some good ones as well, right? So, I mean, for the, look, this is definitely... Richard I mean, that's a favourite, right? But then, you see, then over the years, I, I found I found an archive of my files and, and I'm going to play a few of these, but I just want to apologise in advance and I'm going to watch the numbers just drop off from the audience levels. 
Affordable housing is not affordable because it is 80% of market rate. It is more affordable than unaffordable housing. But other than that, hey, it's not great. Yeah, so I mean, it's informative, though, isn't it? It's, it's informative, so and still relevant as well. So uh, nice to know. But there'll be a few of those uh, moments too. Um, and at the very end, uh, hopefully there'll be time uh, you can ask lots. Uh, you can unmute and you can ask questions. Um, probably questions like, "Why did I pay for this?" and "What is the point?" Um, and then at the end, I'll do some sort of trademark podcast descriptions of all the Leicestershire MPs, uh, which I've written. Uh, one of them's Andrew Bridgeton, and uh, it's. I'm going to have to put a picture of his face up and I, that's going to be awful for all of you. Anyway, um, what more could you want? Um, hopefully that will be all right. And, and I should also say thank you for not only uh, paying for a ticket for this uh, show, but you're also, um, I'm going to donate all that money to uh, the food bank that is run by one of the guests that we're going to speak, be speaking to in just a minute. So um, you're being charitable. Basically, what that's doing is it's guilt tripping you into staying and watching the full show. You're going to be like, maybe we could get out of this. Maybe there's a way to escape. No, no, it's charity now. You're stuck. <laughs> you can't get out. Um, so let's. Uh, so what was I going to do? We've got it. I've got. I've put the. I've put the intro jingle and I've lost it. There we go. Let's go for it. It's just a short one. So this show is at the Leicester Comedy Festival, sort of. Of course, we've been through this. Just pretend, okay? Come on, guys, get on board. Um, and I thought, what better with it being in Leicester than having uh, two guests who have got an idea how things are here, there, you know, here, there, virtually there. Anyway, I'm still, I'm still at home. I haven't gone anywhere. Um, Despite having been to Leicester many, many times, uh, my main areas of knowledge about the city are still just getting stuck in the one-way system for hours and hours and hours, repeatedly seeing the turn-off that I need to go down as it disappears behind me. It happens every time. I've been there every, every time it happens. Um, also, that historically it was named Leicester mainly to confuse visiting Americans when they looked at the sign. Um, that a member of the royal family was found in a car park and it wasn't Andrew up to his usual behaviour. Um, oh, also that Leicester sits on the River Saw, which doesn't sound very comfortable, so maybe it should change position. Also, though, uh, that despite being known as an environmentally and socially progressive city, uh, is also in the top 20 most deprived areas in England, with more than one in four children in Lister living in poverty. And there have been very big concerns about working conditions in garment factories uh, that may have led to the surge in COVID cases last summer. And while those are also issues, uh, problems nationally, uh, this show isn't at the National Comedy Festival, is it? Is it? I'm not doing it there. I'm doing it at Leicester Comedy Festival. And Leicester has its own things going on and its own needs that no one would know about better uh, than the people that live there. So... For this show, I asked two Leicester Arians, Leicesterians, or Chizits, Foxes. That sounds a bit like I'm flirting. Um, to join me today and tell me about how the city is coping in these stupid, endless times. Um, if the Leicester local plan seems like a smart way forward, uh, and all sorts of things like that. So, please, will you give a huge virtual welcome uh, to uh, social housing and environmental activist slash now clicktivist, as he tells me, Tim Morton and um, Abby Harrison, who started a food bank from her dining room in the midst of the pandemic. Um, hello, both to you two. We've got one of you. Oh, there's Abby up there. Yeah. And there she is. Brilliant. How are you both doing? Good. Yeah, yeah this nervous. is exciting. 
It's, it's very exciting, is it? I, I have uh, just very quickly realised why I record this in the week and, and edit myself uh, <laughs> as opposed to uh, do it live, shouting at people down. There's probably there's probably a lot of people that have turned me down already, volume wise. Um, but listen, I'm very I'm very very grateful that you two uh, had the time to do uh, to do this. I have to do this; it's my job. I don't I don't have a choice, and it's that or parenting. But you uh, have given up your time to be here this afternoon and inform us all um, about uh, Leicester really at the moment. And I suppose the, the first big question before we get into what you both do and what you have campaigned on and what you're doing now um how, how has the city been during the pandemic because there, you had to have a second lockdown way before the rest of the uk did um back in june which was pretty horrifying due to a massive rise in infections um and how do you feel that the city sort of coped since then should we start with uh, tim should we start with you uh, do, um well we i don't think we've ever been out of lockdown um <laughs> i think we're still in lockdown 1.0 uh, point one, point one, point one, perhaps. Um, it's quiet. Um, it's not as quiet as lockdown one, is it, Abby? It, there's no, a lot no. Of traffic around. Much busier now. Yeah, you can you can hear the birds, but you can also hear the hum of, of traffic. And if you um, look at the outer ring road, the you know non-stop traffic at rush hour and that sort of stuff. So that's a bit odd. Um, and you said we had a spike in June, but I think the spike was to 50 cases per 100,000. And now we, we, you know, that that would be tier zero, wouldn't it, um, on the national figures? So, um, yeah, nobody's talking about uh, sweatshop factories as the reason why um, COVID is terrible in Bexley or in uh, Westminster or in County Durham at the moment, are they? Uh, so it must be more than that. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, there, there probably are some in Westminster, though. I'm sure that's what they use the under bit of the uh, House of Commons for. Anyway, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I shouldn't record that bit. Um, but Abby, if you notice, you know, because I, I live in a very, very boring bit of North London uh, where just nothing, nothing happens anyway. So I haven't really noticed. But is, is Leicester, you know, are you noticing a lot of places suffering, a lot of places already having to close? You know, obviously they've had to close for the pandemic. But are you noticing a lot yeah. of people that are in trouble and a lot of, um, think, sort of areas yeah. shutting down more than they? There's, there's people been in trouble throughout the whole, you know, from my experience, there's people, everyone's lockdown has been completely different in Leicester. There's people who they've not left their homes yet, maybe two doctor's appointment throughout the whole time since last March. And then you've got other people, they're going to work and they've always been going to work and they're every day going to work. So for them, there isn't the same level apart from they might not nip to the shop as much they might focus on doing that differently you know so I think lockdowns have been completely different and for Leicester it was hard but in terms of like the cases we're feeling now it's weird because last year it was silent on the roads there was a whole emptiness about all the streets whereas now we're in lockdown again or a continuation of lockdown and it just feels quite normal it's still busy because there's those people going to work and still continuing on, you know, we still have schools open, even though it's only key workers. It's not really like I have friends all over the world in different countries and they're in shock at what's going on in England. They're just yeah. going, how are you behaving like this? You know, my friends in Hong Kong are just, their minds is blown at the numbers they're seeing, but how we just carry on as normal. <laughs> And, it's um, it's, it's you know. why I keep, um, you know, whenever they sort of say, oh, we're only closing travel to these areas, I think, but who is coming? Why would yes. anyone come? Like, if, I, if, I, if I looked at the news and thought, oh, that place is absolutely, is like a leper island. No, I'll stay at home. I, I'll, I'll skip that holiday. Absolutely baffling. Um, but I wondered, you know, as it sort of exposed other issues that are in this, obviously we mentioned the sort of sweatshops that was brought up as an issue last year. Um, 
But I wonder, has it brought up kind of other issues within the city uh, having the pandemic? Are there other things that, that have, have come out that either have always been there, but maybe weren't so prevalent or uh, that, you, that you've noticed for the first time? I suppose, I mean, the the Leicester is, is the most diverse place on earth, it feels like sometimes, and it's, and it, and it's lovely for that. And there's a, an assumption sometimes that everybody's living the same life in Leicester, and it's clearly they're not. Um, and um, we've, uh, you know, if you're living in overcrowded accommodation, if you've got three generations of your family, if your husband's a taxi driver and you're the care worker, then inevitably COVID is coming through your front door. And that was the issue at the beginning, and it's probably still the issue now um, in terms of the... Um, impact on, on people from black and ethnic minority communities. But um, Leicester is uh, low pay. You know, uh, there's a lot of gig work. Um, there's a lot of, uh, the people who've done well out of pan the pandemic are um, the Deliveroo guys, I think. They're just, you know, cycling all over town. They're all on electric bikes these days and um, they're coming through. But, um, and I've, I've noticed, I live in a place called Western Park. We've got a big park. It's called Western Park. And uh, when we first moved here 30 years ago, we were about the only people who had dogs who walked in the park and very few people used the park. It was, it was just not what you did. Now it's rammed uh, and it's, it's trodden to a quagmire because we've had so much rain. So the, my street runs to the park and I just see people walking backwards and forwards along here going for their state-sanctioned exercise each time. It's, uh, it is strange. Do you, think, do you think that's made, Abby, or if you can sort of elaborate on this one, has that made people really realise about, um, you know, how public space is in Leicester? Because, I mean, it's so, again, yeah, uh, it's really I'm, I'm not over there with you. I was going to say, you know, from, from where I am, everyone's suddenly going, oh, yeah, they closed all the places that we really needed years ago. And I wonder if, are you feeling a lot of that in Leicester too? Um, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of nice parks, but they are rammed. I mean, from my experience, a lot of the green spaces are busy all the time. We don't have enough. Um, you mentioned the local plan earlier. Um, and I think there's a lot of places up for grab at the moment for development because there's a housing need. And then we've got this balance of actually, it's great having lots of people and good quality housing, but if you haven't got the green spaces, people are going a bit, you know, we've got mental health crisis. And if you've also got poverty, it all comes into a melting pot, which leads to issues, you know, and, um, we do have, I think, with this pandemic, a real realisation of how much inequality there is. So unless there is no different to the UK or globally, there is an increase in inequality. And those at the bottom of the ladder are really the ones who are always suffering. They're always the ones who are going to have the health crisis. They're always going to have the financial crisis. They're also going to have the food poverty. It's the same group and that group is getting larger and larger. You know, So the inequality here, I think the pandemic has increased the inequality in some respects, but also took that plaster off where, you know, we have a lot of people who are filling in the gaps. There's a lot of people who volunteer, there's lots of charities and they're actually doing the job of what the government should be doing. You know, local authority, our council is underfunded, which means then it's other people who are probably in that poverty group anyway, who are helping out each other. So yeah, it's a hard one. I think there's no easy solution to this, but, we do need those green spaces. We do need to protect, you know, how our environment is because that's really key to how people can grow and get out of poverty in some respects. Is it, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, uh, you know, 
one of the bits of information about sort of uh, Leicester that I could find was that last year, I think it was, oh, actually 2019. I forget what year it is. I forget what the day it is, yeah. what hour it is. This timelessness of lockdown. Um, it's 2019. Leicester was ranked as the third most progressive city by, by mortgage experts. So we can take a, a little pinch of salt, I think. But as... Um, as it was third most progressive in terms of tackling social and environmental issues. And I wondered if that seemed right to you or if that's, if the reality is a little bit different. And I should just say that as a visitor to Leicester, one thing I do always notice, I mean, I talk to you about Tim really, is that very good with cycling, very good with cycle lanes. And I'm always quite amazed uh, by that. I've hosted the kids Leicester ride certificates every year and I always go, oh, wow, there's absolutely hundreds of these. <laughs> this is absolutely brilliant. So is, is that, does that seem right, Tim? Do you think, are, is Leicester good at tackling social and environmental issues? I think, well, I, you know, I'm wearing my cycling T-shirt and I'm um, uh, one of the, the, what it says is that I'm too fast for the pedestrians and too slow for the cars. So what the city did was um, quite amazingly announced in May, um, we're going to put in 11 miles of um, cycle track or walking area in the next 10 weeks. And they did. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, wow. not everybody uses them, but there's coned off areas. I can cycle into town quite happily. Um, I was doing it before, but you're taking your chances with the buses and the taxis and the, and the vehicles. And now I'm in a protected cycle lane. Admittedly, um, it's not everywhere, um, but there has been a growth in cycling. Um, and, and people, you know, the kids are all on scooters and mini bikes and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and it's the only thing that's going to save the bloody planet, actually. Um, for me, uh, growing up, um, I knew about climate change. You know, I'm a child of the 50s and, you know, in the 70s, I was learning about climate change. I used to tweet angrily that I was worried about the, the climate my grandchildren's grandchildren would inherit. I'm actually scared of the climate I'm going to live through. And um, so I think the 15-minute city, which is what they're talking about, the moving, walking and cycling, brilliant. The thing that got me back on my bike was teaching my grandchildren to ride and not being able to keep up with them when I was on foot. Um, and the other thing was that something like 40 to 50% of all the car journeys in this city and actually in the UK are under two miles or yeah. five miles. You know, two miles there, two miles back. It's and a habit. Move these big lumps of metal from outside their house to outside their office or their factory and leave it there all day and then they bring it back. You can just do it on a bike. Much better. Sorry, got a bit carried away. No, I agree with you though. I mean, I'm I'm really lucky. I think the council, because of the pandemic, a pro was they were able to instigate some of these things like the cycle lanes, which they'd had planned for ages, but you know, to be able to do it in a really busy traffic jammed area is kind of quite hard, especially when you've got a lot of opposition. But due to the pandemic, they managed to do a lot. And, you know, I taught my daughter to ride a bike with uh, my other half and, you know, she was four years old and she's loving the cycle lanes. It's brilliant. And having that freedom to do that and that safety has been fantastic. So there are positives and negatives and we, we are progressive as a city, you know, but there is an issue with inequality and that is just yeah. global yeah. and national. Yeah. Um, which Abby, I want to ask about it. So I should just say that, um, for those of you who aren't looking at the chat, uh, Tim, you're, you're getting a lot of uh, fan recognition for your top there. And uh, Tim's mentioned that it's red Molotov T-shirts if you want to get one. So top work. Um, right. So, <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um. So, uh, Abby, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you you did, which I think is a remarkable thing. You started a food bank from from your dining room, as you told me, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, which is, I mean, that's not something that everyone just does. Um, I think it, potentially they should, but it's not something everyone necessarily has the willpower, or the confidence to do. So how did you start that? How did you go about setting it up? And, and how it wasn't intentional. Right. Okay. <laughs> it was never intentional. It's not like I went, oh, I think I'm going to start a food bank. It was not like that at all. It was... Um really I just happened to be saying yes to me a bit like coming on this show I just went yes and then later felt oh what have I done what have I done um, Fair. Yeah. so what happened was I was on a contract and I just finished on Friday the 13th and I remember being in the interview and I was meant to be going traveling last year with my daughter um, and I just remember being in the interview for the HR and her saying to me do you want to leave and I was going yeah, but I know I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I know what's happening and there's no way, you know, my mum's my in Singapore. I'm really conscious about what's happening. I've got a lot of family in the East where I'm kind of going, there's no way we're going anywhere. We're going to be in lockdown. And I was telling people about this, although people were still laughing at me that that wasn't going to happen. Um, and then the next week I'd left work and obviously it was the week where Boris went from not locking down to, oh, we're locking down, schools are closing, everything like that. So for me, it was quite lucky to be able to look after my daughter. And I just answered a Facebook uh, group for a mutual aid group that said, oh, we need some people to help coordinate these efforts when we go into lockdown to help people. And I just went, oh, yes, I'll do that. That's fine. So initially, it was all about mutual aid. It was about... Mm. Let's find people, these people who are falling through the cracks. They're like people who are going to be shielding, people who are vulnerable, people with disabilities. And we just did it on a neighbour-by-neighbour basis. We got a load of leaflets printed. My number was on, you know, 5,000 leaflets that went around neighbourhoods. And then we just basically were finding people on streets who were capable to look after other people on the streets who might not be able to get out. Um, obviously, there was loads of stockpiling of food. So there was loads of issues with buying food, the internet. So everything was crashing together. Um, and most of my job initially was getting volunteers, 
linking up with people with need and saying, okay, they need some shopping doing. Can you do the shopping? Because there's no sl- slots. They can't get any slots. They can't leave the house. Get them there. You know, there was crazy mm. things where people were being trained to wash money. You know, it was a yeah. very bizarre time in March and April last year. So I wasn't, at that point, there was no food bank situation in my mind. I was just going, oh, I'm helping people out join them together and it was busy you'd have like BBC Radio Leicester calling me giving me loads of people going I've got this guy here can you help can you find someone it was just all about hooking people up together and then playing with my child a lot in between uh, and doing this in the evening when she went to bed um and then we sort of got became an organization really quickly across the whole of Leicester you know we had people put every ward we knew all the streets we knew who'd been leafleted and that happened in about two weeks it was like real grassroots agile predominantly women just on it (laughs) getting shit done you know you're kind of just going right how do we make this work uh and then then i started having a lot more people who needed shopping but they had no money and that's where that sort of started ticking on there was a few people who were like they relied on food banks and you know that's when i found out the two food banks which are in the west of leicester which i didn't know about before you know i don't i didn't know how many food banks were in leicester before both of them had closed down because the people running them were volunteers who needed to shield, who were vulnerable. So they're the people that, you know, in the, so, you know, they're shut down instantly. And then there's all these people who were already relying on them who just couldn't have any food. Um, So another food bank got in touch with me from the other side of Leicester. And they were like, we are inundated with requests from your side of Leicester. Can you help? And I went, oh yeah, like an idiot. And I was like, okay, just send me the lists. And then this list, this spreadsheet just kept growing. And I was like, oh, I need to find food. Um, Luckily, I worked with some good organizations like uh, Perfectly Edible and some churches and various people who were like, we can get some food for you to make these packages up. Um, And because of the stockpiling, there was a phase when supermarkets returned to normal. They had that full shelf syndrome going on. So they had to get everything there. But nobody was buying anything because they'd already bought everything. So then I was like having supermarkets going, We've got a ton of potatoes. We've got this one supermarket. You've got three carloads. Do you want to collect it? And it all started coming to my dining room. I'm making packages up. I'm going, volunteers, get to me nine in the morning. Right, I've got this list for you. You know, and it went on like that for about a month. Right. And I was starting to go a bit insane. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. is this going to carry on like this? Um, but it did abate, which was nice because I was like, this is not sustainable. Um, and then the two food banks started opening up the ones they had other people who came in. So that really took the pressure off me. Um, and then I met some other coordinators, uh, Eve, who I work with at the food bank. She was a coordinator for another ward and my ward that I was looking after Westcoats and her ward that she was looking after Foss, they didn't have a food bank, but from our experience, there was a clear need that there was people in need there. Um, so we sort of talked about, Oh, should we set something up? and carry on and see how it goes, you know. And then we've been doing that since last June. And we're still doing it now. It's it's, it's such an admirable thing to do. And and it's so much hard work that I think a lot of people get a bit terrified of the idea of of doing it. And, but you know, it sounds like you've got- It's not me alone, obviously now, initially. But, you know, there's there's like 10 of us in the planning. There's at least another 20 volunteers. There's lots of people who make this happen. But they're all unpaid, you know, they're all volunteers, they're all people who are, I would not say are rich people. Uh, and that's what I think is the thing that I've noticed most is how much of it is people who are giving their time who are not on that top end of the spectrum of 
equality. So it's interesting. But also, you know, for me, as a real eye opener about food waste, you know, everyone could go to a food bank because, you know, we, this country, it's 2 million tonnes of food is wasted every year. So a lot of our food we get for free sometimes because otherwise, uh, you know, Tesco's, Aldi, they'll have to pay to get it got rid of. So for me, I'm kind of like, give the money, we can buy for a pound lots of food very cheaply because these companies, they need to feed people rather than chuck it in the bin because it's not worth it for them. It's a broken system. All of it's broken. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I mean, just uh, quickly, because I'll come to you in a second, Tim, um, just quickly, do, I guess th- there was obviously, it sounds like there was a real point where it changed from just being the people that you said were, were shielding and couldn't go out to suddenly being, hang on, there's a whole lot of people that can't survive this pandemic. Yeah, I'd yeah. say at the moment we're 200 households, and I say households, they are families, but they are all different types. You will have an OAP, you'll have someone with disability, you will have to asylum seekers you will have a family with five kids you will have a single parent it's it's every type of person there's people who've been made redundant from the pandemic you know there's people who were in the gig economy um and then they've suddenly gone right well i was on zero hour contract and now they've just said you've got zero hours and they've had to go for universal credit and they've realized they've still got the same outgoings of when they work but they just can't afford to live on that money Absolutely. Really hard, really hard. Um, Tim, I wanted to ask, I, I know, I know you, you sort of mentioned in, in direct message to me that you're more of a clicktivist now, but you, you did work on a social housing advocacy campaign. Um, yeah. And obviously that, you know, uh, that that sort of area of politics is, um, you know, something that you're quite embedded in. I, and I wondered if you'd noticed that, I mean, I sort of know what the answer, I guess, in a way will be, but the, the COVID pandemic and the struggles that people have had with paying rent and increased homelessness, how much have you felt this is, this pandemic's exacerbated the need for social housing? And what are the kind of, you know, have you got localised solutions in, in Leicester to in, in increasing it? Well, I mean, I just I want to take my hat off to Abby for what, what she's just done. I, I work with community groups, but mainly through Zoom, and lots of them have done very similar things. And I think the way it started with, with, with Abby in, in terms of let's put some postcards around, I did the same thing around my, around my street. Um, two people shielding in my street didn't realize they were um my street's only 15 houses um and i think the the councils came in behind and and the other agencies came in behind the the, the groups on the ground partly because they were worried about gdpr and safeguarding and and all the rest of it that they have to do because they're legal bodies in terms of social housing um the point about social housing for me is that it's it used to be 40% of uh, the stock, yeah? 40% of British households up to 1979 lived in social housing. And um, that's gone down radically. At, 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 in 1979, I think about 10% of the population lived in private renting. Those figures are completely turned around, yeah? Um, we talk about property owning democracy, but the way the finances worked through the 2000s was it was cheaper to buy to let than it was to be a first-time buyer in terms of mortgages. And that's what, and, and so first-time buyers were squeezed out. So lots and lots of people, my children's generation are all renting, they're not owning. Um, so, the, but they're paying much higher rent than social rent I loved your jingle, by the way. It's actually truly the affordable <laughs> rent one. That's why I chose um, that one. I thought you'd like another it. one of Grant Shapps's wheezes. Um, 
And the Tories were very good at weasel words. You know, we will always support the most vulnerable in society. And you think, oh, that's good. And then you discover that, yeah, you're vulnerable, but you're not the most vulnerable because you've got two legs. That <laughs> chap over there has only got one leg, but even he's not the most vulnerable because that woman over there hasn't got any legs at all. And by the way, she can see. So unless she was blind, she wouldn't be the most vulnerable. So we, it's a really handy sliding scale. So social housing happens to be the best maintained, the cheapest to rent, and the most secure form of uh, accommodation because you had lifetime tenancies. They got rid of, they tried to get rid of those. They're coming back, by the way, because it's too complicated to, to run those short-term tenancies in social housing. Instead, we've got insecure um, private renting where the vast majority of families now live, yeah? Families used to live in, in council housing and housing association housing, but actually the majority, uh, there are more people living as families in private renting. And as an example of what that does, and this predates the pandemic, but my daughter's boss um, had a problem with her bank account. It got frozen one day. And um, my daughter said, Dad, you know something about housing. Can you advise my boss? So I rang this woman. Uh, thinking I won't know what to say. And she was living in private renting. She'd been in the same house for three years. She'd just had the tenancy renewed. The landlord had praised her because she'd done all this painting and decorating and it was all lovely. And then her bank account unaccountably got frozen like they do. And she phoned the lettings agent and said, I'm sorry, I can't pay the rent this week because the bank's frozen my account, but they said I'll sort it out next week. Well, you'll be uh, evicted then. What? And, and I'm thinking, well, they can't, it'll take weeks and, and, and all the rest of it. But for that woman, she was in tears on the phone to me, which she's never met, saying, I've got three kids. Where are they going to go to school? What am I going to do? I'm going to have to pack the whole house up. And it's because it's insecure. Yeah. Yes, the landlord would have to go to court. So all the people who live in private renting at the moment who are not paying their rent because they've been made redundant. And it turns out universal credit doesn't quite cover all that you want it to do. Um, the bailiffs have been stayed. They've not been allowed out. They haven't been able to go to court because court's dangerous for COVID, isn't it? So, but there is a, a wave of people building up who are in a lot of arrears and they will expect to be housed by the council. Well, newsflash, Leicester's got council housing, but not every local authority has council housing anymore. Um, and there isn't enough. Uh, and although our campaign, which was successful in the sense that most people now accept that the sensible thing to do is to build council housing and, and housing association housing at social rent because the housing benefit bill goes down. Um, the only people we've yet to convince are the Treasury and the current cabinet. Everybody else is on side. The Greens, the Lib Dems, the Labour Party. The National Federation of Housing, everybody thinks social housing at social rent is the right thing to do, except the people who control the purse strings at the moment. And there will be real issues when it, when and if they suddenly say, you've got to come out. Sorry. And in fact, just before I ask his question, if anyone, uh, if any of you watching uh, would like to ask um, Abby or Tim a question, um, we've got a very short amount of time um, <laughs> to, to do that. But if you want to put that in the chat right now, um, I can uh, ask them in a second. Um, and also hello to Eve as well uh, for your lovely chat message there, which I won't read out just because we're running out of time. Um, but uh, what I was going to say to him is, are there like localised solutions? Are there things that you can do within a small 
you know, a, a, a city, a smaller community where you, where you can kind of work on increasing social housing? Are there other ways in which a grassroots organisation could help? There are, um, and there's, they put some more money into the community-led housing fund, but it's, it is peanuts. I mean, that's, that's where I came into housing many years ago, and I'm not going back there now. Um, but um, housing co-ops, self-build, that sort of thing. But in terms of the serious numbers, the government have not put anywhere near enough money into social rent. And housing associations will say, we've built some houses, you know, more affordable housing. We've built more affordable housing. And you go, is it more affordable or have you built more of it? You know, because that's another slip of the tongue. And they're doing for sale, for rent, for market rent, affordable rent, and then maybe two little social rent properties. And then the right to buy kicks in on the council housing and more gets sold and get built. So there's a real squeeze. Yes, you can, you can get organised, you can do um, the sorts of things that Abby's done. We've got a nice scheme up in um, Saffron Lane, uh, Saffron Acres, where they built passive house housing and, and so on and so forth. But um, the, I would argue that the numbers we need to be building, our campaign was saying 100,000 a year out of a quarter of a million new homes. And um, so, you know, only, only 40%. Um, we, we started that campaign in 2014. We'd have built half a million by now if they'd listened then. You mm. know what I mean? You know, we would have made a real dent. Ugh. It's all squid. It's, it's like the developers, you know, HMOs, all of that, poor quality, the most smallest room sizes for yeah. people to live in, and they're not maintained. They don't care about the impact. And then for a council looking after these two-bedroom terrace houses turned into seven-bedroom bedsits, they just pay the same council tax and it's still such mm. an impact on local authorities. You know, there's, there definitely needs to be a complete changeover of how the housing situation is worked because it's only feeding into those who already have. Yeah. And yeah, I'd add that yeah. the benefits freeze for four years, benefits have not risen. Mm. Um, and um, local housing allowance, which is the housing benefit for the private rented sector, was frozen at 2014 rates. You know, um, if you're if you're um, working and under 35 and you lose your job at the moment and you go and ask for some money to help pay the rent, you're entitled to a room. The room rate, if you're a single person, that's all you're allowed. Room rate. Not a house, not a flat, which you might have been quite happily making the rent on because you were employed. Yeah, it's, it's really appalling. I was going to say, and, and local, you know, the, the amount of local councils just having their funding cut all the time, so they've got the ability to do this. Um, I want to ask you both an awful lot more. We haven't had any questions, but what I'd like to just finish up on, thank you again for, for joining me um, this afternoon. Hopefully I'll chat to you on the podcast for a bit longer next time uh, on an audio one, which would be exciting. Um, I just wondered if you could recommend, obviously, apart from your Woodgate community food uh, is, is feedback that you work with, Abby. Um, I just wonder if both of you could recommend um, any other sort of local campaigns that are really useful for people to check out. Um, uh, whether whether because they're local and they can help out with them or for inspiration for other things they could be doing um, in their area. Uh, Abby, have you got anywhere that you particularly um, I guess uh, getting involved in the community in any way possible, knowing your neighbours, knowing what the needs are is, I think, makes a big difference. I think you mentioned the local plan and I talked about it a bit understanding what's on the cards for your community because so much goes on we've got busy lives and then suddenly things happen and you go oh I didn't realize that happened I think people have to get engaged and have to get active to make sure their voices are heard and that's really important yeah I'd, I'd say I mean 
for me, I work with two communities in, in Leicester at the moment. I work in St. Matthews, uh, which has had a successful food bank. One of the only food banks to do click and collect, I would have you know, they've, they've uh, really inspired group there. Uh, and I'm also working, I'm the, I'm the chair at the Braunston Community Association now, where there's a food bank up there, just up the road, and, and they've been, they do amazing stuff. Um, with, and they have built a grassroots organisation from a, a strong, strong point. And I would, I would say the great thing about Twitter is that you can talk to anybody. They can block you and they can mute you and they can ignore you uh, and misquote you. Um, and uh, But I talk to all kinds of people on Twitter and, and make my case there. And I listen to what, I also have a look at what they're talking about outside of what they're supposed to be talking about. And then you say, oh, I'm interested in flowers too. Or did you, ah, I see that you like kestrels. And then you go in there and say, by the way, you're going to do something about social housing. Love kestrels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> such a good kestrel tip there for everyone listening. Get, get in via the kestrel, love. That's fantastic. Um, well, thank you again. Thank you so much for taking the time out uh, this afternoon to do uh, this. Is uh, Again, it's slightly more daunting than asking you to do the podcast normally uh, at an audio uh, level. So thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, just for the uh, everyone watching, uh, Abby, you're on Twitter at Abby Loves You Most. Um, and Woodgate Community Food is at Food Woodgate. I think all the links will be yep. in the side. And Tim is Tim Morton too. Yep. Very annoyed about Tim Fantastic. Morton one. There you are. Well, <laughs> we'll have to take him out. We'll discuss it. We'll work. We'll sort something out. Thank you again. <laughs> Right, right, uh, lovely audience. Uh, we have got a few more minutes, and I think we've just got time. Oh, do you know what? I've, uh, hang on, hang on. We'll. Uh, there we go. I feel we've got to use it, haven't we? And uh, in fact, I think I found a jingle that you might actually like um, that I haven't used for some time. Just as for, this is mainly for podcasters. If you haven't listened to a podcast before, uh, this is a sort of running theme. I don't get to use so much anymore because this uh, MP sadly isn't as vocal um, or perhaps gladly isn't as vocal. But here we go. Liam Fox is total disgrace. Liam Fox, what a waste of space. Liam Fox, just look at his face like a rubbish contestant on the chase. Claiming expenses, taking his friend all over the place. Liam Fox, what a total disgrace. Liam Fox, what a total disgrace. Like a bad document you can't erase. Like when someone only types in lowercase. Liam Fox, what a total disgrace. Liam Fox, what a total disgrace. Yeah, there you go. A little bit of that for you there. Um, right, so I'm going to, um, let's see if I can uh, share my screen with you. And uh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to put some MPs' faces up on your screen. I thought it'd be nice to, um, let's see, uh, how do we do this uh, slide as virtual background? No, we just want that one, don't we? We just want one of the things, um, not desktop. There we go. Right, so I think you're going to get to see that there we go uh that is uh the, so that is uh that's the partly political oh i was looking up news about leicester and um, for some reason they use this picture for this news story in the leicester mercury and i was just baffled but i thought you might like to see uh, some some the picture editor and the words editor need to have a, a little um conversation so uh, as per uh, podcast i do descriptions of uh, often over the top descriptions of mps i thought i'd do all the leicester ones and all the leicestershire ones so we'll start with the leicester ones who are all labor uh we've got first off uh, the shadow health secretary john ashworth he looks like an employee of the wayland yutani corporation he looks like a rejected beano character if a mouse did its hair for the school disco it's like someone gave a bag of chips a nazi haircut 
Uh, that's John Ashworth there for you. Uh, Claudia Webb, the worst character in the Spider-Verse. Ha ha, they put a wig on a baby. Uh, there you go, that's Claudia Webb there. Um, Liz Kendall is the woman on your street who lets off fireworks for the NHS on a Thursday while having private health care. Uh, she's the most well-known for posing with large military vehicles, uh, so it makes sense to have her on the main opposition team as Labour morally tank. Um, she always speaks like a small child who's been asked to read something they don't understand at a school assembly. And she only joined Labour because she thought the name referred to what she could make common people do for free if she got in power uh there you go that's uh that's the uh main lester piece this is fun this is the lester um mayor uh peter salisbury i've got two very different pictures of him so we'll do one each um anton de corn if he suffered from war flashbacks and an iron deficiency uh and then we've got um a harassed spike milligan and how everyone felt after we realized 2021 would be just like 2020 there you go um now i apologize i apologize putting his face on your screen um this uh this we're going to go to leicestershire mps Oh, Andrew Bridgeton, the man who tried to hunt down Jessica Hyde in TV's Utopia. Very niche reference, that one. Uh, Andrew Bridgeton, whose surname and face comes from his long line of ancestors that had dens under bridges and would spend time mostly upsetting goats. Uh, Andrew Bridgeton, like if Toby Juggs had office parties. Andrew Bridgeton, proof that people can suffer weathering erosion too. Uh, and then we've got uh, Alberto Costa. <laughs> Uh, Disney villain sidekick, smiley potato face stuffed into a suit. Emoji for blissfully unaware of anything. Uh, we've got Edward Arger. He's for Charnwood. Uh, always got a pane of glass pressed against his face. Edward Charger, like the underside of a manta ray with hair. And if Play-Doh, uh, if Play-Doh was sad. There we go. Um, Luke Evans. Look at his. Look at this guy. This is it's weird. It's like he's definitely an android. Uh, that is one I've got. It freaks me out. His face freaks me out. I don't like the fact that he's staring at me. Uh, he's a bit like if Ash from the Evil Dead wasn't actually bothered about saving anyone and just preferred adding recruits to the Army of Darkness. I did also put Beverly Hills 902. Oh, fuck off. Uh, but I'll leave that one. Um, Jane Hunt. Uh, and Jane Hunt is uh, for MP for Loughborough. She always looks as though the sun is perpetually in her eyes, even at night. Look. Jane, just ask him to take the picture from a different angle. Jane, just get him to take the picture from a different angle, Jane. Just stand on the other side of the camera. Jane, just, it's all right. Uh, also, Jane Hunt is the Japanese mascot for the website next door. And then we've got uh, Alicia Kearns, the MP for Rutland and Melton. Uh, she is an expert at standing like she leads the, the, needs the loo in every single picture of her. I've only got one picture of her here, but Google her. Every single picture, it's like, just go, just go before they take the picture, Alicia. Anyway, uh, she's also someone who keeps having to be told, no, Jane, you don't need to wear your historical reenactment clothes today. No one's coming round. Um, and Neil O'Brien, who is the MP for Harborough. He's like, if a knickknack went through puberty, uh, Neil O'Brien will kill again. Uh, there you go. So um, that was that. Um, so, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that is the first ever live uh, live stream, partly political broadcast. Um, thank you very much, Cheney, and thank you tons uh, to Abby and Tim for joining me. Uh, you can find them both on Twitter, as I said. Abby, uh, Abby loves you most, and Woodgate Community Food is at Food Woodgate. Uh, if you'd like to help and donate, all the links are in the side. Um, also, uh, Tim can be found at Tim Morton too, so follow him there. Um, and of course, this is at Leicester Comedy Festival. Follow them. Check out all the other shows too. And if you enjoyed any of this nonsense, and you don't already listen to the weekly podcast um there are new episodes out every tuesday this week's guest um is the absolutely brilliant emily kenway uh with her book the truth about modern slavery um which i should modern slavery is not like a modern family spin-off series that'd be ill-advised it's not also some sort of progressive slavery uh, it's a very serious problem the book is absolutely fascinating um it's, progressive slavery weird all our slavery is organic and fair trade no, it's not like that um 
but the book is fascinating. Do get a copy and listen to the podcast next week. She is brilliant. Um, and you can find the podcast at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk at Parpolbro on Twitter or the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook that I massively shit at updating. Uh, or, of course, uh, you can just shout at me via the chat or send a carrier pigeon or some sort of wax cylinder to my house. But, of course, it's always just easiest to look online. Um, if you fancy it, even though you paid for tickets, um, you can donate to me as well as the food bank at ko-fi.com forward slash Parpolbro. Join the podcast Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Parpolbro or just leave your credit card number engraved in a tree in the only park near my flat that I ever get to go to anymore and I'll use it to buy myself some kitchen gadgets that I don't need that make an egg into the shape of a woodland creature or something like that or ensure your tomatoes are lukewarm I don't know something useful um, thank you turns to Leicester Comedy Festival Jericho Comedy Next Up Comedy Zoom probably I guess and I suppose Covid in a weird way otherwise you know I'd be doing this in Leicester and I've had to drive up and down the M1 which would have been shit but at the same time really miss it really miss service station egg mayo sandwiches that's what I miss. Um, anyway, I've been Tian and Diab. Don't forget to act like you've got the coronavirus, which means either sort of carry on as you are or pretend you're dead and see how many people care. Bye! Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.